This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Welcome back to the DTC pod, everybody. I'm your host, Jay, and we have a great guest with us today, Austin Bronner, who's the CEO of Brand Growth Experts, a business that helps early stage store owners unlock massive growth in their businesses while freeing up more time to do what they love. Austin, it's great to have you on the podcast over here. I know we're going to be talking a lot about brand growth and just some other general things in e-commerce, but super excited to have you on the podcast over here. I know we got connected through Twitter where you share a lot of your knowledge there as well, but before I share everything about you, uh, I figure I'll go ahead and pass the mic over to you. Um, if you want to tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and uh, a little bit more about uh, everything you're working on. Jay, first of all, uh, thrilled to be here, man. Really excited. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, there's an intro there that talks about freeing up time to do more of the stuff that you love, unlocking growth in your business. Like, what does that all mean? What do we actually do? So we work with founders of e-commerce businesses, and we have coaching and training programs to help them build a business that works better for them. And what, what does that actually mean? Well, that means you have businesses that's not 100% reliant on them, right? Often during a, there's a transition period that happens between startup. And when I say startup, like the beginning stages where you're kind of like hustling, making things work, getting off the ground to maybe a little bit more established. And I call that like in the early stage range, you can get caught in the weeds of doing every single thing in your business. And my goal is to help you learn how to get out of that. You know, there's lots of tools, mindsets, and ways that you can delegate, you can grow, you can operationalize, systematize your business to run it in a way that better works for you and is more valuable at the same time. I know your background. Um, you have some experience actually having some of this stuff happen to you. I know you've talked about burnout in your own business and things like that. What kind of like made you realize that, hey, this is something interesting over here and I need to help other e-commerce founders as well kind of manage their time a little bit better and their resources? Yeah, this came back from actually my first, the first job in this career type atmosphere, right? It was the, out of college, I um, got a Fulbright scholarship, went to Macau, China, lived there for a year. And I taught English and I wanted, I figured out I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to come back and start a business. Got a job, worked for a high growth, fast growing startup in Los Angeles. And after about two years, I was just completely burned out of what I was doing. And a big part of that was the fact that we didn't have a lot of systems. We were like constantly crushing it, going in a million different directions all the time. And I took those habits into building my first business. I thought that was the only way that you could grow a business was having unreasonable deadlines at all times and having people, you know, work themselves crazy all the time towards things that, you know, you set and uh, you go. And after a couple of years of that, I had kind of a breaking point where I realized this is not what I want. Like I built a business to have more freedom in my life and I actually have a lot less. I am working all the time. I'm 
working on things that I probably shouldn't be working on anymore, but I was kind of too stubborn to offload them and, and, and didn't have the like systems thinking to be able to get to the next level where I have people helping me with those things where we operationalize those parts of the business and was able to kind of outsource them. And when I say outsource them, it's actually like hire people to help me with this stuff. And so I got really interested in it and um, I started to think about ways to build a business that was a lot less reliant on me and it flipped around my relationship with work and it put me in a position where I could be more valuable to my company, where I could create interesting roles for the people I work with and at the end of the day actually achieve some of the freedom that I was hoping for when I started the business because I wasn't fighting fires every day and I could actually think about bigger picture stuff and work on it that way. That's kind of how I got in, interested in this type of stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm sure that's super freeing to to feel that where, you know, you go from feeling like you have to do every single thing to having what you originally intended, which is, you know, flexibility in how your business operates and having time for working on other things as well. I know a lot of founders, you know, regardless of the space, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's something else have the tendency to want to have almost 100% control over all the decisions and feeling like, oh, if I offload this, uh, you know, it might not be done as I expect or done right. But obviously, it's necessary to be able to grow the business when kind of thinking about delegation, what are some of the steps that that brand owners can do to delegate in their business so they can grow? Um, and I'll add a, a second part to that question, which is, what would you say to, to those people that might be hesitant to do some of that delegation as well? I think my first step with all of this is really like changing your mindset around uh, trust. And this can be really very easy or very challenging for some people, depending on where you end up on this, like your personality scale, if you're a trusting or not trusting person. But generally, my first step is to look at the relationship you have with trusting other people. Do you go into a relationship thinking, oh, this person's going to screw me? Or do you go into, this, into the relationship thinking, this is going to go very, very well, and I'll monitor it and make sure that it goes really, really well. Whatever you believe is what's going to come true. So it's self-fulfilling, right? If you go in thinking everyone's going to screw you and you have to be really careful with every relationship that you have, that's going to be the outcome and that's going to, the relationships that you have will end up being that way. So I, I firmly believe that you need to go in and start thinking about the relationships that you have with other people in your business as opportunities to build and expand on trust and to unlock the growth in other people that is inherently there. So that means that you go out, look to hire the best possible people that you can, and then create opportunities for them to shine and succeed. And that can be challenging. That is challenging, right? That is challenging because often it leads you to be in a position where as people are growing and blossoming around you, mistakes are made. And at a certain point, you have to, if you want to be able to have some level of freedom in, in your life, the stuff you were looking for, it's a relationship with being okay with some mistakes and understanding those are just growing pains. And sometimes you make them yourself. So 
I, I feel like, so, at least personally, I'll speak from my own experience. I've made so many mistakes along the way of building a business. And why, while I may make less mistakes with things that I have more experience with now, along the way, I had to pick up those earn my scars by making those mistakes. And if somebody's earlier in their journey, just accepting the fact that, well, it's not going to be perfect, but at least they're going to learn the same things that I potentially learned earlier and maybe they can help along the way. So it's not as damaging to the business. But that's my, my first tip is to like, look at the, your relationship with trust on a more tactical level. The best thing you can do is track your time, see where you're spending your time in your business grade it and look at it and say, well, this isn't something that can be hired out. It is not that valuable for the business. So let me go and find somebody to help me with that, uh, with that role. And the last thing that I'll say is you really have to start becoming aware of what your skills and strengths are. I am not, there, I think there are three types of people. There are people who build systems, there are people who can follow systems, and there are people who can, who just destroy systems. I fall on the side of more of the system destroyer. I can follow systems, but I'm kind of more of a system destroyer. So that means I'm not a good person to build systems in my own business. So that means I need to hire somebody to help me do that. And if you are that type of a person, which is quite common in entrepreneurs, it's important to find somebody who offsets you and bring that person in to help you build standard operating procedures in your business that other people can follow. Yeah, those are some really good tips and some great advice over there. Are you interested in DTC and e-commerce content? Join Trend's exclusive community for everything DTC, the DTCers community. We're talking marketing, product, growth, and more all about DTC. Go to trend.io slash podcast. That's T-R-E-N-D io slash podcast and look for the slack community link to claim your invite we hope to see you on there when thinking about like delegation and i, I know you've worked with a lot of uh e-commerce founders maybe it's similar maybe it's not but if there are any sort of similarities what are some of those early kind of tasks that e-commerce founders should be thinking about potentially delegating or other things in their day-to-day that they should be, you know, passing on to team members. I mean, you just got to start thinking, what are the things that are happening every single day that take a lot of time? That usually starts with support, right? That's one of those things that you can start delegating much quicker than you probably think. While support's super valuable when you're getting customer feedback on products and you learn things, if you're spending hours and hours in support, it's not the right place for you to be Uh, And so finding that person to help you out there, obviously fulfillment is another one. If you're packing boxes and it's something that's repeatable, like look for the things that are repeatable and that you can systematize. And then those are the ones, those are the things in your business that you should start delegating and hiring for. A really good tool to start looking at this, it's pulled from, from the book Traction and I've kind of modified it for my own use, but one of the, they talk about something called an accountability chart. And what that is, it's taking your business and looking at it from a 10,000 foot view and seeing, even if there's one to three people in your company, there are more than one to three roles in the business, right? When you're just starting off, 
you're going to be the CEO, customer service. You're going to be the box, the person who's packing boxes and shipping them out. Those are many different roles for one person. And what you do is you break your business down into the different roles that are there, even if there's only a few people, and then put a name underneath each role. And when you look at that in that way, you will find that there are some things you're better at and some things you are not as good at. I would recommend finding the things that you are not that good at, finding people to help you before switching over to the things that you are really good at. It's kind of like outsource what you're not good at first, outsource what you are good at or hire for what you are good at second. And so I know one of the things that you mentioned, uh, which I think will probably resonate with a lot of founders and entrepreneurs that are listening is kind of being that maybe process destroyer. Because I think obviously you've got to have some sort of, you know, you, you're thinking outside of the box as an entrepreneur, maybe trying to do something that's new or different. So thinking about those those process destroyers and, you know, maybe not having a, a solid understanding of what a strong process is supposed to look like. How do you kind of push that into your your hiring process or your delegation process for finding the right people? What are some steps you can kind of do there to to make sure, you know, you're not just totally missing the mark there? Sure. So good question. And the way that I do this is there's something called a Colby score, K-O-L-B-E. It's a test. It's not a personality test because it's, they're, they're very clear that it's not a personality test because it does not really relate to your personality. What it does is it tests and gives you feedback on your method of operation. So it's how you, how you tackle problems, projects, work in your life. And one of those, there's four categories, and one of those is something called, I believe it's called follow-through. And when you look at this and you get your score, often most entrepreneurs are going to be high on something called quick start. And that means you're capable of operating in, in kind of different areas without that much information. Now, there's an area, another one called follow-through, and that's the one that I'm a little bit lower on. And so what I'm looking for is I want to hire people who have the opposite MO as me or opposite Colby scores so that I'm able to have some of my weaknesses covered. And that's, that's what you're looking for is to, if you want somebody who can, is going to help you with building systems, find somebody who has high follow through. And that's a bit as a part of the Colby score. Uh, and they'll be able to help you build those processes. Again, you have to balance that in your organization, though, because you don't want to have too many of those people early on because you need to be able to be innovating. And then they'll sometimes hold you back from being able to innovate, but they'll also help you to systematize, especially some of those things that are consistent projects. Yeah, I think those are tips that everyone that's listening can probably grab something for. This message comes from Wix e-commerce, the professional platform that enables entrepreneurs all over the world to create and run their online store and grow their e-commerce business. If you want to sell online, make sure you stand out. Go to Wix e-commerce and create an online store that will grab shoppers' attention. Build a state-of-the-art storefront, showcase your product with striking product pages, and sell subscriptions. Go global and display prices in local currencies. Boost your sales by offering instant coupons using the live chat. Streamline your checkout process with automated shipping fees and sales tax calculation. Manage your inventory and track your sales from one convenient dashboard. Analyze your comprehensive sales and traffic reports. 
Check out these and more must-have e-commerce features for sellers who mean business. Go to wix.com slash e-commerce today and join over 700,000 active stores selling worldwide with Wix e-commerce. Let's talk a little bit about brand growth, not only from the, the people perspective, but also the metrics perspective, because I think it's it's really important to, you know, make sure you have an eye on what success kind of looks like and having a good eye on your KPIs. Working with so many brand owners and brand founders, what are some of the KPIs that maybe you look at with some of those founders? And are there any like interesting metrics that you can share that maybe other people aren't necessarily using all the time. Sure. I, I'm going to bring up my dashboard in front of me here and kind of talk through some of the things that we have. So I think of it in two ways. I think of it as weekly and monthly, right? And when I'm looking at them, there's a little bit of a difference between what, what I'm looking at a weekly basis is much smaller than what I'm looking at on a monthly basis. And I'm going to start with monthly and give you an idea of some of the things I'm looking at. Basically, the categories are finances, traffic, and subscriptions if you have subscriptions in your business. But on the finance level, like on a monthly basis, some of the things you want to look at, like cash on hand, inventory on hand, accounts payable, right? So you don't want to run out of money and you want to have a good idea month over month how you're doing and on with the amount of cash you've got, inventory on hand, any accounts you've got payable. I'll also look at total revenue, cost of goods sold, and then calculate a gross margin on a, on a monthly basis. The reason that's important is you want to look at it compared to the previous year. Uh, it's something you can basically almost run your business off of a dashboard like this. Also, on the traffic side, I'm looking at ad spend, uh, looking at unique users, organic versus paid, transactions, conversion rate, average order value on a monthly basis, new email subscribers, revenue from email, I think that's a good one, and total email sent. Often, your total email sent will be very highly correlated with the amount of money you make. On, during a year. And then on the subscri subscription side, we're looking at like subscribers and start a month, end a month, churn rate, that sort of thing. On a weekly side, I think of it a little bit differently. I'm thinking of it more like top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. So I'm tracking unique users, impressions, ad spend, email subscribers, email conversion rate, email sent, website conversion rate, average order value, active subscribers, weekly revenue and revenue from email on kind of a weekly basis to give me an idea of like where things, where we are, like you want to have an idea of where you are that week, right? What happened this month, this week? What are the things if you're down or if you're up that might have contributed to it? Having a dashboard that you can trust. And again, I like to update these things manually. Some people use Supermetrics, some people use other, other tools, but I've had a lot more success just updating it manually in Google Docs. And Again, that's one of those one of those things that once you get it set up, you can get some help and document how to do it and get some get somebody else to help you on a weekly and monthly basis update that. Yeah. You know, I think it's easy to get caught up in the shiny tools to track a lot of this stuff. Um, but it's kind of cool to to hear that, you know, you're keeping it simple and that's some stuff that other founders can do as well. So And I'm not the only one keeping it simple. I will say a lot of larger businesses that I've worked with keep it on a Google Docs as well, because it can be unreliable looking at these feeds. And so at the end of the day, it's hard to beat. Like if you're, you know, having some human part of the idea of punching it in manually is that then people are responsible for that. 
Uh, one thing I didn't talk about is like a paid social as well. It's like another dashboard that's on, on a weekly basis looking at like CPMs, clicks, CPA, all, all of that impressions, looking at that on a weekly basis to figure out how are we actually doing on Facebook as we adjust ad spend. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's really helpful to keep track of over there. So we've talked about, you know, mindset. We've talked about KPIs. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the other piece of brand growth, which is product growth. Uh, maybe you're thinking about increasing the amount of SKUs in your line to, as a way to generate more revenue. How can you kind of determine if it's the right time to expand whatever you have, like the products that you have, or if it's better to potentially continue with what you have and maybe double down on what might already be working. And if you have any like key considerations over there to share as well, that would be great. Sure. I think this is a, a really interesting nuanced question. It's going to depend a little bit on what you sell and what you're, you know, what you sell, the type of niche that you're in. But I'll share kind of an overview of things that I've learned and seen from working with a bunch of different clients in tons of different niches. So one is that it's really, really important to have a hero product. So until you find something that you know you can consistently, consistently sell and attract new customers, you should be exploring and be trying to figure that out, right? Like you got to find a hero product that you can have consistent success with. Once you find that, you want to, you know, ride it out as much as you can. But one of the mistakes that can be made is expecting that the returns you get from an early set of customers are going to last and they're going to continue, right? So you might find early adopters that love what you're doing and you launch into a niche and they start buying your product and your CPAs are low and you're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. We're going to just keep ramping up ad spend, ramping up ad spend, ramping up ad spend. And it's going to continue to go this way. Truth is, it's not, right? As you have your early adopters start to fade out and then you have to start paying higher acquisition costs, the more that you are spending. There's a certain point where it becomes easier to grow your business by adding secondary products than it does continuing to sell that initial hero product. And you may end up in a space where, you know, you use the hero product to attract customers that then go in to your like product suite and purchase multiple items and that what all those things do, adding new, other items that people want, it increase the lifetime value in your business and allow you to be able to spend more to acquire new customers and compete at a higher level, right? Like the person who is able to have the highest lifetime value is the one who's able to spend the most on acquisition, which should mean you're able to grow the fastest and grow faster than other people. So my general take is that it's all like product niche specific, but find a hero product, grow, and once you start to feel a little bit of the pullback on your advertising and it starts to get a little more challenging, look at developing some other products that are complementary to be able to allow yourself to continue to grow and understand that it's not going to always be uh, the way that it is early on when you hit something with a hero product. It'll change, it'll become more expensive, and you need to continue to innovate because many times I've seen somebody find something that works really well and they feel untouchable, and then three competitors come out, knock them off, and then everything gets more challenging. Yeah, 
For sure. Well, the good news is that, you know, the, the market's been validated a little bit, but totally makes sense that you've got to stay on your toes and, and kind of understand, you know, how people are interacting with your product. It's a great guy, uh, Kevin Hillstrom. I've had him on my podcast. He is a data analyst. He worked for Nordstrom's Jake Land's End, I think. And he's a consultant and he helps e-commerce companies, large, large ones. And he always talks about merchandising. And merchandising is, it's the like business and art of bringing in new products that people want to purchase. And honestly, if you do nothing else but continue to bring in hits and bring in products, it makes everything that you do a lot easier. So all of your creative becomes easier. And so much of the success of e-commerce business comes from merchandise and what you're selling. So I, I don't know. I think that there can sometimes be a tendency to focus a little bit too much on the shiny objects on the marketing side rather than just creating things that people want. And I have a good client that sells these like a streetwear brand at Australia and they launched a hundred, a hundredth edition t-shirt and it was a hundred dollars and they just texted their top hundred people on their list and they sold it out in like an hour because they're creating stuff that people want and they're really, really, really good at it. And it wasn't tricky, you know, unique marketing. It was, no, we just built something that people want and we just texted our top people and they just bought it because we create stuff that they want. So that's my take on it. Like spend more time on the merchandising than on the fancy marketing. And uh, yeah, you'll probably have more success. Yeah. And that's a really good tip too on the, you know, thinking about a meaningful way to sell just, uh, you know, for all the founders or brand owners that are listening out there, maybe having a segment of your customers that are the the most engaged with whatever list that you have. So that's, that's an awesome tip baked in there as well. I know you have, uh, you kind of alluded to this while you were speaking, your podcast that you also have where you talk to a lot of other people in the e-commerce space and you've had tons and tons of episodes. You know, we do a lot of recap episodes over here and, and kind of go through a lot of great advice over here um, that we've had from our podcast. But I think it would be awesome, too, if you could share from the many episodes that you've had, if you have any interesting tidbits or, or tips that you've received from from some of the guests, um, if you could share them with us, that would be awesome. Sure. So I've interviewed over 300 people uh, over the last seven years related to e-commerce. These are people that have founded and exited $100 million companies to run agencies with you know 50 to 70 people that work for them to just the brand owner who has built a lifestyle business for themselves or you know somebody who I've one of the more interesting interviews I had uh, was with a guy who he works for three months and then takes a month off. Works for three months, takes a month off and has built his life around that. My biggest takeaway from all these interviews and all these, all these different people is that there is no right or wrong way to build a business. Often it comes down to what you actually want and you know what success looks like for you. And this is something that I've focused on so much more in the last couple of years. It's that that same person who has built a $100 million business and sold it might be looking at somebody else who has a much smaller business and a, you know, an interesting life and say, you know, I wish I had what that person want, has. 
And the same person on the other end might be looking at the person who sold business for $100 million and be like, I wish I had what they had. So my advice from all these things is that the most important thing you can do is become comfortable with authoring your version of success, your version of your life, and spend as much time thinking about that so you don't get caught up in momentum, right? We are all born free and become slaves of false truths that we put in our mind. And if you can really author your own future, no matter what you're doing, you're in the game. And if you're listening to this and you've got some sort of, you've got a business that you're running or you're thinking about it and getting involved with it, you're already living your success. So listening to other people is incredible, but trust yourself and know that whatever you're doing, it's out there, you're in the game, you're in the arena, and you're making, you're having some success at whatever level you are right now. So good for you and do it your way. Yeah, that's some great advice that I think anyone at any stage can find value in, which is awesome and incredible. Austin, it's been super great having you on the podcast over here to, to chat about mindset. We chatted about KPIs, product lines, even your podcast a little bit. Lots of awesome knowledge dropped over here. Before we go ahead and uh, sign off on the podcast, I'm going to pass it back to you one last time. What's next for you? What are you, what are you working on? And uh, if you also want to share some information on where people can uh, learn more about you, what you're doing, and, and connect with you as well. Cool. So what's next? What's exciting for me? We are launching the Smart Growth E-Commerce Challenge. That is a five-day challenge to help you build a growth plan to get to $200,000 a month. Uh, that kicks off in a couple of weeks here. And you can check it out at my website, brandgrowthexperts.com. Um, we're going to be kicking that thing off in the next couple of weeks. What's next? I mean, you can go check out all of our programs at brandgrowthexperts.com. We have an eight-week accelerator called Intentional Wealth for founders who are sick and tired of running their business, 100% relying on them. So if, if you're in a position where you feel like you can get some more, want more leverage, want the ability to grow faster, build a more valuable business, it's not 100% relying on you, go check it out. Go to our site and check that thing out. And then if you like listening to me and you want to hear more, I do have a ton of podcast episodes at ecommerceinfluence.com. It's the e-commerce influence podcast. Yeah, we got over 300 episodes. There's everything from whatever you want to listen to. I've done a ton of episodes and they're, they're, they're generally pretty non-fluffy. So uh, Jay, it's been awesome. Thank you so much and uh, appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for hopping on, Austin. I know I found a ton of value from this episode. I'm sure our listeners did as well. If you did, feel free to, to drop a quick rating and subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you next time on the DTC pod. Thanks again for joining us, Austin. Thanks, Jay. Have a good one.